Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to a very special, spoiler special podcast. Perhaps the most special, spoiler special podcast of them all. Because this one is dedicated to a film so incredibly special. And there's that word again and I won't apologise for using it. That without its impact, there's a good chance that this podcast wouldn't even exist. Whoa. The three of us here might have to work for a living. Can you imagine such a thing? No. I'm talking, of course, about the Lumiere brothers' seminal work, La Rive d'Antoine en Gare de la Ciotat. It is 50 seconds long, but every second packs a powerful punch. And joining me to talk about this movie from 1895 or 1896, depending on which Wikipedia page you read, are two of the finest train spotters I know. Choop choop! It's Helen O'Hara! <laughs> Bonjour! Bonjour, Helen. Ça va? Ça va? <laughs> Bien! <laughs> Mon Dieu. One year of Duolingo has led me to this. I'm doing so well. Incroyable. So well. Boop, boop. It's all aboard the good train, Ben Travis. Quelle est la date de ton anniversaire? <laughs> <laughs> but first, before we get into the film, let's hear from the men who made it. Ah. <sighs> I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am about this because we have managed to secure, after much discussion with the spirit world, an interview with Auguste and Louis Lumiere, the pioneering brothers from Lyon, who are in many Leon. ways Love responsible. Film. Great film. Mm. Love that lunch place. The pioneering brothers who are in many ways responsible for the very foundations of cinema itself. And this, a movie in which... A train arrives at a station is as good as cinema gets. And let me tell you, folks, I was delighted to have a quick chat with the two brothers from Lyon. Enjoy. I am delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the directors of La Rive d'Antoine en Garde de la Ciotat, Auguste and Louis Lumière. Welcome both. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, please pardon my French pronunciation. I'm currently learning French fired Duolingo, and I've still got a long way to go. If you will, my train hasn't even reached the station, or, as you guys say, la gare. <laughs> C'est très drôle. What? That is very funny. D'accord. I know you don't have long before you return to the spirit world, so I'll get right into it. We are ready for your questions. Fire away. Hang on a second. You don't sound like I expected Auguste and Louis Lumiere to sound. Oh, really? Yes. You sound like two French youths, clearly up to no good. No, this is how we sound in the spirit world. Please, continue. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. So, La Rive d'Antoine en Gare de la Ciotat, where did you film it? La Ciotat, it's a lovely town, not too far outside Marseille. Yes. It was a beautiful day. Excellent. Tell me how you did it. Well, we went to the train station. Uh-huh. And we set up our camera. Yes. And the train came in. And people got on and off. Do you remember that, Louis? I do, Auguste. I remember thinking, wow, this is going to blow people's minds. And it was a real train with real people. Yes. We thought about using CGI. But it hadn't been invented yet. Terrific, terrific. Uh, practical effects, I love it. There's a great moment in the film where one of the passengers looks at the camera. Yes, that was Big Keith, one of our friends. 
the one thing we said to him over and over again was big Keith, whatever you do, do not look at the camera. And what did he do? He looked at the camera. Oh, I'm really sorry to have brought that up. Clearly, it's still a sore point for you. Uh, two last questions, because I can see you already beginning to fade out and go back to the spirit world. You said that you thought the film was going to blow people's minds, and it did. There are lots of famous stories that when you first showed the movie, people thought that the train was really coming towards them, and they ran out of the theater screaming. Yes, we heard those stories too. Sadly, they aren't true. I do remember someone running out of that first screening. Who was it? Big Keith, when he saw the bit where he looks at the camera, he bought it out of the cinema in shame. We never saw him again. Poor old Big Keith. May he rest in peace. Uh, Listen, I also wanted to ask about your thematic intentions. What, for you, did the train represent? It was a train arriving at the station. Oh, really? So there's no lofty metaphor here? The train didn't represent the inevitability of death? Let's go with yes. Did you expect this, this short film of yours to have such a huge cultural impact? I mean, Martin Scorsese featured it in Hugo. Oh, I love Hugo. And here we are talking about it 125 years later. That must blow your mind. We're very happy, of course. Any artist hopes to achieve a resonance with their work, something that will outlive them. And for us, the most important part of our film's legacy yes, is that it was a clear influence on Tony Scott's Unstoppable. Unstoppable, yeah! What a movie! Denzel, Chris Pine, Rosario Dawson. A runaway train! Boom! Bang! Five stars. Well, okay. That was an unexpected recommendation, boys. But uh, on that note, that's it. I've got to let you go back to the spirit world. You're fading away to nothingness. Thank you so much for joining us, Auguste Lumiere and Louis Lumiere. Bye, Bye, Uncle Uncle Chris. Chris. Bye, boys. Well, there you go, folks. That is Auguste and Louis Lumiere. And now it is time to talk about Revive d'Antoine en garde de la Ciotat. It's hard to really put into words the visceral impact that this movie made on me. Uh, you know, we, we saw it probably 120, 125 years or so after it first screened in France. Mm. So I didn't quite have the reaction that the people did when they saw it for the first time. You know, those stories of people getting up and, and running for the exits and screaming in terror because they thought that the train was coming towards them. I didn't do that, but I did shit my pants. What did you guys do? Yeah, it was the full James Cameron for me. I, I shat myself with my mouth wide open. I mean, I had some notes. That's what you, you know, want. I had some yeah. notes. Um, I, I, I kind of felt like the characters were underdeveloped, if I'm honest. And, you know, I, I like a That's little fair. bit That's more fair. plots, I, I, you know, even in my documentaries, I, I do. And, and I mean, the, you know, I, can, I understand mm. why they went back and and remade this because it really doesn't pass the Bechdel test. And so the the following year, their 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 sort of their remake, which has that woman in the fancy plaid coat. Oh, For me, stupid. that's that's the superior version. You know that that is my train arriving in a station. Political correctness gone mad. The original was fine as it was, and then they just go and crowbar a woman into it. I mean, just look, to tick a box. She didn't have to be crowbarred in. She was getting onto the train. Do you know she what I mean? She got on like, the train. Totally what a Mary Sue! Like, oh, like everybody can just get on the train. Come on. Like you're just jealous of her fabulous cape, and frankly, you should be. 
Cape. Hang on, this is a superhero thing. Okay, I'm all on board. I'm totally on board now. The, the remake is much better. And I'd say one of the few instances in which the remake is superior to the original. That's right. It's the Evil Dead 2, basically. If, even though it's not a remake, let's not have that discussion. But, you know, it's the kind of... Let's, yeah. not, let's not do that. Yeah, but it's, you know, in, in, in the same way that the Evil Dead 2 hits many of the same notes, I would say that Train yes. Arriving in the Station at the Gare de la Ciotat 2 hits many of the mm. same notes as the original, but with a little bit more sharpness of image and that fabulous outfit. Yes, I believe that's also called Le Bougalou d'Electrique. Is that is that correct? I believe so. Yeah, and I thought the second one had like a, a better sense of humour to it as well. Obviously, the original plays it really straight, but then mm. the second mm. one sort of dials down a bit of the nastiness, but has a lot of laughs in there too. Like when there's people trying to get off the train, but then there's people trying to get on the train. I mean, it's, it's yeah. like they haven't even like listened to the announcement on the platform. Do you know what I mean? You know, this is pretty basic stuff, guys. Let people yeah. off the train first. Come on. But you know, I think I think guys, what maybe we should maybe do is refresh our memory of the film. Let's do it right now. So, right. yeah, so it's happening. Uh, it's very very exciting. So we begin with a, a wide shot, I mean, and they have the confidence to hold the shot. Mm. Very David Just, Lean, that's isn't it? Bold, yeah, yeah, very David Lean. Yeah, um, and of course the the black and white colors are very reminiscent of Razorhead as well, and uh, an Elephant Man. So a bit of David Lynch in there as well. A bit of Lean, bit of Lynch. Very exciting. And the train comes in and then they just have the confidence once again to hold, mm. just to wait. And then the people get on the train. Oh, people get off people the train. Get off the yeah, train. people get off the train. Sorry, yeah. I've got it wrong. Yeah. I'm even watching it right now. They get off the train first. Then we see a guy look at the camera. That's Big Keith, as the Lumiere brothers said. They never saw Big Keith again. And, you know, he was he was found dead in the swamp many years later. Very, very sad. But, uh, and, then, and then it ends. And the boldness of the Lumiere brothers' mm. vision still to this day bowls me over. I mean, look, it, it's all right there in the title, isn't it? You know, that is the station at La Ciotat, which of course, as we all yeah. know, is near Marseille. Um, you know, They're that is near. a train that is arriving yeah. at the station. Like they have delivered exactly what they promised. This is no yeah. messing about. Boom, done. And, and in Not some ways, back. it's really brave that obviously you don't see the train leave. It just mm. says that it leaves you hanging, but at the same time, they never promised more than that. They didn't say it's train arriving so. at La Ciotat and then leaving La Ciotat. Yeah. They left themselves no. open for a sequel. And then for over 100 years, 125 years, yeah. they've kept us hanging. That's amazing. Such, I, I could say, such boldness in their vision. Louis was the cinematographer, wasn't wasn't he? And he, you know, the, the pressure must really yeah. have been on him to nail that shot. And what did Auguste do? He directed and produced. He said, Big Keith, don't look in the camera. And then Big Keith turned around and looked. I mean, look, it's, it's, it's you know, as I discussed in my book, Women versus Hollywood, The Fall and Rise of Women in Film, um, the, mm. the roles weren't entirely codified at that point. So you could no. be essentially all things to all men. You were a jack of all trades if you were a filmmaker. Um, or Jill. So, you know, the, or Jill, exactly. There were yeah. women. Why aren't we talking, you know, about Alice Guy Blaché here? Here we are harping on about the Lumiere brothers again. But you know, it is it's uh it's it's an interesting because it wasn't it wasn't codified. Anybody could do anything. All you needed was that confidence, that camera and that vision um of mm. a train arriving. Where do you rank them in terms of the great train movies? I'm thinking mainly Unstoppable and the taking of Pella One Two Three the remake. I mean, it's better than Unstoppable because did the train stop in Unstoppable? I can't remember That's if fair. that actually did deliver on that promise of the title, whereas arrival of a train at Lysiatat does live it does up to arrive. its title, yeah. you know? Yeah, it absolutely does. And, and where do you rank them in terms of the great cinematic brothers? I would have to say, mm. 
sandwiched between the Coens and the Russos. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, but but beneath the Sprouse brothers who made Aliens vs. Predator Requiem. It's, it's certainly a position that, that a person apparently could take, I guess. Wow. This has fewer aliens and predators in it than I would usually like. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, look, I, I do... Look, this was a great film. I, I do feel like it's 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 a bit disappointing that we're talking so much about the arrival of a train and not, you know, people leaving the Lumiere factory, which is, you know... It's a bit more like it's you know it's a bit capitalist of us, isn't it? Like we're not focusing mm. on the the common working man. We're going straight for the big spectacle of the train. Yeah, because people back in the day they wouldn't have known what a train was. They wouldn't have been able to afford a train. They would have thought it was some sort of metal dinosaur. So they would have been. So this was their Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah, essentially that. So when you see them get onto the train, they're actually trying to get inside it to rip out its heart. That's what they're. They're trying to do, trying to slay the metal beast. I have some questions that's, about your teacher of history, Chris, but okay, let's move on. Let's talk about a couple of things. Let's talk about the thematic intent. So Auguste and, and Louis, in the exclusive interview I did with them, they said, to them, it's basically just a train pulling into a station. It doesn't signify anything, but I think maybe they're keeping their cards close to their chest in the old afterlife there. What, what do you think it signifies, this train? That's very Cohen Brothers, isn't it? Oh, there's no deeper meaning here. This is just yeah, what, what we is do the tonight. hat? Yeah. It's just a what hat. does the hat mean? Oh. It's never just a hat in the Coen Brothers world, and it's never just a train mm. arriving at the La Ciotet station. I think the train is, is the onrush of of Thomas Edison's work and his company, and and the pressure that the Lumiere brothers felt to stay ahead of him and uh, and really get to sort of ex- exhibition first. You know, they were all working on cameras, they were all working on moving images, but they were the ones to project mm. first. And I think that's the the pressure that they felt really from the like the steam rising mm. in the engine. For me, yeah. it's just the general encroach of modernity and the hustle and bustle and the excitement that that's going to bring with it to this new dawn, this new age, the, the dawn of cinema. I actually think it's really interesting that they left Big Keith in because not only is this constructing our idea of, of the cinematic language, but it's already skipping to the point of deconstructing it by breaking that fourth wall, by bringing us, the viewer, in, practically yes. inviting us to get on the train with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, like an early Deadpool is is the way I think of it in many, many ways. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Mm. Yeah. For me, the train itself symbolises the arrival of a new art form. Uh, and I and I I think the Lumiere brothers they knew what they had they knew they were sitting on gold, and they knew that it would it would create this new art form that would become ultimately a business of show as well, and they knew that at about a hundred and twenty three years or so after they they recorded this maybe one hundred and twenty four, that another pair of brothers uh, from Cleveland Joe and Anthony Russo would make what was then the biggest film of all time in Avengers Endgame. So I I see this with its train arriving at the last minute and people unexpectedly getting off the train to assist others. I see this in many ways as a forerunner of the portal scene. We should talk Avengers about Endgame. portals. That's a great that's I think a great we point. We should talk about portals. Yeah. So whenever whenever you first saw Avengers Endgame, what are your memories of the portal scene? They are positive. Aren't they? I mean, yeah, it's just it's just a tremendous feat, you know, just the way it's staged, the way it's blocked. From the very moment, you know, that we hear Sam say on your left, 
And then the portal, uh, the portal begins to appear, little Doctor Strange portal. So you know that suddenly the Calvary has arrived. There is Cap. He's on his own. He's been vanquished by Thanos. Tony's unconscious. Thor's unconscious. Along comes, suddenly, Everybody. here comes Sam Wilson. And the emotional impact of T'Challa and Okoye and Shuri arriving. And she's got these blasters on her wrist. And you go, where did they get those? From there, it just builds and builds and builds and builds. And it was like someone had reached into my head and taken childhood images that I mm. thought of as a kid and just thrown them onto the screen. But here's my question. Yeah. The portals look cool. I love the spinny, you know, sparky things and everything. But yeah. wouldn't it have been yeah. better if they all arrived by train? I think that Avengers Endgame is as close to a perfect movie as you could possibly get, apart from all its flaws. But Helen, I think you've you've hit on something. If Steve had heard on your left and then looked around and a choo-choo. large train was going choo-choo, yeah, and there was Sam Wilson, you know, at the at the wheel of the train. Yep. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, Thanos would have shit himself because he's never seen a train before. He would have thought it was going to hit him, you know? Never um, seen a train. And I, I think it's really interesting comparing these two because, as you say, in, in the Lumia Brothers film, you've got these sort of doorway type portals opening and people emerging through them. I think if they had been able to capture sound at that point, you probably would have heard somebody say, At a gauche. C'est ça. Absolutely. And, Incroyable. At a gauche. But it's funny because this actually does remind me more of Infinity War than Endgame, like I said, because it brings the train to the station and then it just leaves you there and you don't quite know how that's going to be resolved, where the train's going, how certain people are going to get back on the train. It leaves Mm. you in that state of limbo, kind of like Infinity War did. Um, And instead Mm. of making us wait a year, they've made us wait 125. Like, that's ballsy as hell. Yeah. The Russo brothers, mm. like, they didn't could do never. that. Do you know what I mean? They could never. Yeah. Or the no. Coens, like, to be fair, like, this is not something that modern brothers do. So, you know, props yes. to the Lumiere brothers. They, they did do some stuff right. Yeah. Although even the if The Strauss they, brothers could. Of course, the Strauss brothers could. I mean, you know, look, they, they thought that cinema was an invention without a future. They sold their cameras to Georges Méliès. I, I guess they didn't see the, the, the value in this themselves, maybe hypercritical of their own work. Um, but mm. I'm glad mm. that it survived for us to enjoy anytime we have a spare 50 seconds. On that note, that is it for this very, very special April 1st spoiler special podcast for La Rive d'Entrain en Gare de la Ciotat. It's been really, really wonderful just laying the track of cinematic history with you guys today. But, uh, but until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, until then, it is goodbye from someone who has done clearly more research than me. D.I.S. Ciota, Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. It is goodbye from No Ticket, Ben Travis. Bon anniversaire. Uh, thank you so much to Auguste and Louis Lemier, who uh, may or may not bear a uncanny resemblance to Louis and Jack Salaco. And uh, it is goodbye from me, Terry Gar. 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 I really need to put more time in mm. on Duolingo. Anyway, that's enough from me. I'm off to... Build a shrine to Big Keith. We hardly knew ye. Thanks for listening. See you next time. April Fool! <laughs> <laughs>